Socrates says the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. That's a scary statement, I think. And when I was thinking about it, I think, honestly, a lot of us do not like to examine our lives, right? Like, who wants to do that? And I think probably part of it is because we're not too good at it. Many of us aren't too good because we sell ourselves short. And then sometimes, on the flip side, some of us aren't too good at it because we have an inflated view of ourselves. So it's really hard to, what Socrates says, live an unexamined, or to live an unexamined life is not worth living. So this guy comes out of uh, the, the manager's office with a look so dismal on his face he could have wilted the secretary's roses that were on her desk. And she goes, oh my gosh, did you get fired? He says, no, it's not that bad. But he sure did lay into me, into me about my sales record. I, and I can't figure it out. This last month, I've been bringing in plenty of orders. I, I thought he'd compliment me. I walked into the office thinking, wow, I'm going to get accolades, probably get a raise. But instead, he just lays into me. So later on that day, the secretary sees the manager and talks to her boss about Harry. And the boss just chuckled, well, Harry's one of our best salesmen. I'd hate, I'd just absolutely hate to lose him. But he has a tendency to rest on his behind and be satisfied with his performance so if i don't get mad at him about once a month he doesn't produce self-evaluation so many of us need that little light under our tushies don't we well i think you'll get that from our passage this morning not not something to make us feel guilty but hopefully something that really spurs us on to good stuff so if you got your bibles please turn with me to philippians chapter 3 philippians chapter 3 fantastic portion of scripture that you've heard many times and we got to hear it again so this is the beginning of a series that we're looking at and what i'm hoping to do is help us to live within the present also looking at examples of choosing well and also finishing well which we're going to probably be looking at hezekiah in the next couple weeks but today we're going to be looking at the words of the apostle paul who used to be saul and he has penned these words in the book of philippians writing to the church of philippi in chapter three starting in verse one Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord, exclamation mark. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's, it is a safeguard for you. In verse 2, all of a sudden, but watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. 
So right there is a fantastic sermon outline if you're going to Mexico and need a sermon there. In, in, in verse 3, it says, For we are the circumcision. We, number one, serve God by His Spirit. Number two, we boast in Jesus Christ, not in ourselves. And number three, we put no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, Paul says. So first off, he says, Further, my brothers and sisters, he's given us a command to rejoice in the Lord. But then right after that, he's saying, Look out! And I think this is a great way to start the new year. Look out. Like, let's, let's have fun. Let's rejoice in the Lord. But look out. And he's not saying, look out for the big bad culture or look out for the big bad news or look out for this and that. He's actually kind of looking inwardly. He says, even look out for those religious people. Huh? He says, look out, watch out for those dogs. So he's grabbing a term that in, the, in this part of history, when you call somebody a dog, you're pretty much just scraping the bottom of the barrel. You're ready for fisticuffs kind of thing. So to call people dogs, he's calling the lowest part of the totem pole. We kind of like dogs these days. We spend way too much money on them and little lap dogs and all that stuff. In fact, this is totally off topic. But when we bought our new place, we walked in there to check out this place and it's, kid you not, this woman was coddling her little chihuahua, which is a mistake right there, and shoving a bottle into the chihuahua's mouth. I'm a farmer. Enough said, right? Wow, I couldn't believe it. But nonetheless, so whatever picture you have of little lap dogs, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about dogs in, in Mexico, Dan. You know what I'm talking about, right? When I was in Mexico a while ago, we're talking, you don't want to hang out with those dogs. They're nasty and they're gross, right? So that's what he's saying. Watch out for those dogs. Watch out, secondly, for those evildoers or evil workers. And what's interesting here, you'd think that they were doing something like mind-blowing, like human trafficking or something like that. But it's interesting here because really what he's pointing toward, he's pointing toward people that are doing things on their own on their own power besides the power of the spirit and also taking just a little bit of Jesus and saying, but you know, this in the law, this was good. I'm going to put this. So it's a Jesus plus mentality. He says, that's evil. That's no good. Because we're talking Jesus here and we're talking a guy, which we're going to see in a bit, that was fantastic at doing plus work. He was fantastic at being religious. He was fantastic at being a Pharisee. And now he's calling him out saying, you dogs, you evil workers, you evil doers. So they were saying that pretty much a sinner was saved by faith plus good works. He needed good works to be saved, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And especially the works of the law. But he's really pointing toward this is evil stuff or this is natural stuff, shall we say, because what we're doing is we're now, again, putting the power, putting the onus back on us is that I'm in good with God because what I do. So if you turn about and you look at it and you take inventory or evaluation like Socrates says, then all of a sudden you realize that you think you're good with God because of what you do. So really, salvation is dependent upon you. False. So he's saying, watch out. Watch out, this garbage doctrine that's seeping into the church, man. These, are, these guys are dogs, man. This evil doers, what's going on here. They glorify themselves and they glorify each other and not the author of their faith, Jesus Christ. So they're looking at ways to build each other up or build myself up so that people say, oh, wow, did you hear what Pastor Steve said? Or did you hear what Ken said? Did you hear what Orrin said? 
And all of a sudden people are looking at us instead of looking past us as vessels that are trying to glorify Jesus Christ. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about what Jesus Christ has done, his finished work on the cross. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 and Titus 3 makes it real clear that nobody can be saved or in a good relationship with God through Jesus Christ by doing good works, even lovely religious works. It doesn't work. The work of a disciple is the result of his faith, not the basis of salvation. I've said that so many times that we Christians, we should do good stuff. We should be on the forefront of the people that are coming into Canada. We should be there. We should be taking the pepper spray from some idiot that's going by and spraying. Did you hear that on the news? Yeah, the refugees, they were hanging out somewhere and a guy drove by on a bicycle and sprayed them. Even little kids, right? Well, as Christians, you guys, we should be getting our hands dirty. These folks are coming to us. The world is coming to us. What are we going to do? Our response really needs to live and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we do that because what Christ has done in our lives. We don't do stuff so that we get God's attention. We have God's attention. He loves us. We have a relationship because we lean into what Christ has done on the cross. And from that, we can't help but do stuff. We can't help but serve others. We can't help but love on others. It's a response. He calls them a third thing that's even more nasty, really. Dogs, evildoers, and then he says, you mutilators of the flesh. And here he's taking something that they know very much about, circumcision. If you don't know what that is, check it out or talk to Pastor Ken. But (laughs) mutilators of the flesh. Here in the Old Testament, they, they, they were marked, Israelites are marked Jewish people when they were circumcised. And now he's saying, you mutilators of the flesh. So you're doing something to the outside of the body to try and show people who you are or, or to try and be one of the chosen ones or to be a God follower. But that's exactly what it is. You're mutilating something outward and it makes no difference inside. It makes no difference inside. So Paul is stressing that no matter what change you make to yourself on the outside, it's absolutely useless unless there's a change on the inside. So it's a classic extrinsic motivation that forces us to fake change instead of an intrinsic motivation that changes our appetite and our desires. You guys know if you've been a parent that, you know, when you're, when Kids are small, you have extrinsic motivations. Do this or else. But you're hoping that through that dance of helping them understand that this is bad, this is good and all that, you're hoping that at some point you don't have to motivate them anymore from an outside source, but inside they start to know what is good and what is right. You know what I'm saying? It's inward stuff. Because if our kids are turned 18, going to university, and they still need extrinsic motivation, we're in trouble. It's got to be inside stuff, inside out growth. Mutilators of the flesh. So he's really taking something that's precious to these religious people, circumcision, and he's just really calling it mutilation or he's calling it something that this is just an outside action, but it has no change to your heart. So back to scripture. Verse 4 In Philippians 3, it says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I got way more. So if you want to sit here today and uh, honor resumes, bring up your resumes, and I see all the really cool things you've done, 
well, this guy can trump you hands down. If somebody else has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Here we go again. Circumcised on the eighth day, which was very, very important to them back then. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. So this guy wasn't import. He wasn't a refugee. He was not an immigrant. This guy was the real meal deal, which was really important to these religious people back then. Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. These days, you guys kind of think that Pharisees is somebody that uh, is kind of just simply uh, likes to judge people or something like that. But when we look at Pharisees in the Old Testament, this is incredible stuff. These guys knew the law. And because they knew the law, they also sought to be discipled by people like Gamiel, which, which uh, Paul was discipled by, and also to walk in step with the law. So if anybody was tight, and if anybody walked in a religious kind of way, it was these Pharisees. So here, circumcised on the eighth day, people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, and a Pharisee, and as for zeal, he says... So as for passion, maybe even he'd go as far as to say, as for intrinsic motivation, because I really believe this stuff, and I showed it by what? Persecuting the church of Christ. He was an enemy of you guys. He was an enemy of me. He showed his religion. He showed his true colors, and he really believed it because his zeal was persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. We know that from Acts chapter uh, 5 and 7, I believe, uh, one of those is where the first Christian martyr, Stephen, his, he was taken out and Saul was there and people were throwing rocks and stoning Stephen and they laid all their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Later on, we see Saul uh, take matters into his own hands as he gets older and he is en route to continue to squelch the church and stop these guys. But in this portion of scripture, when it comes to a perfect resume, this is the kind of guy you want for a pastor. Pretty much, right? You look at it and going, this guy has all his ducks in a row. This is incredible. I mean, he's pretty much done almost nothing wrong. He would be a fantastic Sunday school candidate. This would be the kind of guy you'd look at and go, wow, I really put my confidence in this guy. But he is saying, do not put confidence in the flesh because if you think you got an opportunity to do so, I have even more. He wants you to see the contrast that you might have your resume up on the wall here and he's saying, that's rubbish. And that's the kind of word he uses. That's horse pucky, garbage. My resume is amazing, but it's rubbish because we got to lean in to the grace of Jesus Christ. It's not about me and my resume. Verse 7. But, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything, everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, refuse, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, 
a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, not on the basis of his resume or his good works. Verse 10. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. The participation in his sufferings. I want becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Can we take our minds a little bit out of this didactic teaching passage and try and shove yourself into the boots of Paul and what he's penning here, you guys? I want to know Christ. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to understand and know the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I think when we take ourselves just out of teaching or out of just looking at this as another teaching passage, you get a sense that Paul is so passionate and intrinsically motivated here that he is feeling, feeling his passion, feeling his direction, just dying to have his appetites changed. We know that from Romans chapter 7 and 8. Romans chapter 7, you know that it's full of I, I, I. I struggle with this. I struggle with that. I, I, I. And then all of a sudden, I think it's about 36 times or something he used in Romans chapter 8. By the Spirit, by the Spirit, by the Spirit, by the Spirit. Here, this guy that has a fantastic resume has all sorts of struggles. Isn't that encouraging? To me, it is. Because if he struggles, all right, I guess I got the green light to struggle too. But yet, he's giving us, I think, in this portion of Scripture, something that sometimes we look at Paul as just simply doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. Here in verse 10, I just think he's just like, man, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the power of his resurrection uh, and the participation in his sufferings. Who says that? Who wants to participate in the sufferings? Yeah. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So here, Paul's desire is to know the person of Jesus Christ. We knew from just before Christmas, we were going over uh, some different views at looking at God, under God, over God. Remember all that? And here it's interesting because here he doesn't want to know something about God or just a simple characteristic of God. He wants to know the person of Jesus Christ. He doesn't just want the, the, the little trinkets that we can get or hope to get or the blessings of God. He wants to know Jesus Christ, the person. He wants to know the creator. I've said it to you a million times, but it's just like stopping short and looking. Today is a fantastic day. Checking out when you get out of here, look that way and look to Mount Baker. Unbelievable. But folks, that is there to point you toward the creator of that unbelievable view. Don't stop short. Don't rip off God. To know the creator, to know the sustainer of everything that is living, you got time this afternoon, check out Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 18. The sustainer, Jesus Christ, the sustainer of life, of gifts of life and creation. To know the person who was willing to give us his everything. To know the person of perfection who came and was tempted 
here among us and never, ever gave in. He experienced all that stuff. One, I love this part. I think this is for a few of you folks. One who walks with us through the valley of the shadows of death, of broken marriages, of infirmities, the shadows of suffering, the shadows of heartache, the shadows of loneliness, and the shadows of pain. That is the person of Jesus Christ walking with you. Go ahead, say it. Thank you. Paul's desire is not just to know the trinkets or parts of God or parts of Christ or parts of religion or parts of church. Boy, he wants to know the person of Jesus Christ. When you think of that, my friends, that's an ongoing thing. And that's what we're going to look at in just a few verses. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward that which is ahead in Christ Jesus. He wants to know the person of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, I want to know the power of his resurrection. If you've been coming here for a few years, you know that one of my favorite verses is John 10.10. I've come, the thief has come to kill and destroy, but I've come to give life and life to the full. That, that full, that Zoe, that, that's such a powerful word to me. It's like a TNT, a blasting. You guys remember uh, Lee Little? He was just here a few Sundays ago. Lee Little came to Christ through TNT. He was in one of these little hick towns in the prairies, just like I grew up, and there's not much to look at. And there was a little fire going on in a shed, and little did they know that that shed was full of TNT. You know, they were building a road or something like that. So everybody, do, 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 you know, in the prairie town, what else did they do? All of a sudden, boom! <laughs> and his ears are ringing and all that stuff. Well, that's got him thinking because at that point he was still a bit of an atheist and all of a sudden he figured well maybe there is a god and through that incredible experience i think that also shot him into realizing that tnt power that we have in acts chapter one verse eight the power the tnt the dynamos the dynamite that we have in a relationship with jesus christ life overflowing this resurrection life Really, what he's pointed toward in this resurrection life is that we continue to walk in this resurrection life and it's so big in us that Jesus Christ continues to pour in us and we can't help but just spill out onto others around us. And I'm not here to make you feel guilty to go, wow, it feels like it's been a while since I've been pouring out onto others. You got to listen to the whole sermon then, okay? But what I'm saying is that's available to us. That's available to us. And like Paul, I want to know that. I want to know the power of the resurrection. Don't you think he had some off days? Yep. Romans chapter 7. But I want to know that. And that's his life goal. This one thing I do, which we're going to see in a bit, that's the kind of pit bullish bite that he has here. This one thing I do. His... Life is so big, he's pouring out onto others. His conc- this conquering life that's available to us, victory over sinful desire, victory over death itself, victory over anger, victory over addiction, victory over judging others, victory over insecurities. Boy, wouldn't that be good? Just think about this. Heaven, if you don't get heaven, let's not go too far down that road, but just think of heaven as a place where there's no war, no judging, full-on peace, and you are no longer insecure. 
That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? We could go on and talk about heaven for many, many Sundays. But even on that basis, heaven sounds pretty good to me. So this conquering life is available to each and every one of us. Victory over sinful desire, over death itself, over death itself. Oh, death, where's your sting? Over anger, over addiction, over judging others, life over insecurities. And he goes on not only to say that he wants to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, but also participation in suffering. To me, okay, you're going too far now. Paul, really? Who picks a mentor on the basis of a suffering? Like, I'd have coffee with Harmon. I'd like you to mentor me, but first of all, I'd like to know how much you've suffered. Come on. Like, who does that? But we see here an intrinsic motivation. He so desires to know. Doesn't this sound so different than just a church-going religious person? Doesn't this sound so different than just somebody that's kind of raping the Bible for just principles to live by and get rich? Doesn't this sound like a person that really wants to know a person? And this is what's going to motivate you through 2016, knowing a person. If you just want to know a principle, that might help you a month or two. In fact, isn't it today that's the most depressing day of the year? I think it's supposed to be today because everybody is failing at their New Year's resolutions. (laughs) Participation in his suffering. There's something to that. I know some of the people in here that I I hold so dear is I know you've gone through suffering. So as Christians, we don't have to shy away from suffering, going, oh, I've done something wrong because I'm suffering. No. Well, then Christ did something wrong because it seems like he suffered quite a bit. He goes in verse 12, and this is what you're going to take home and memorize and whatever if you're, you got to grab this one. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this, he says, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straighting toward that which is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I love this passage of scripture. Got to memorize that, you guys. The guy who wrote all of this, the guy who just wrote a whole bunch of verses all the way from one to, or chapter one, all the way to three, uh, one to 11, he's written all this stuff and he says, not that I've already obtained all this. So I think even in there, he wants to give us hope. He says, I haven't even obtained all this, but... But one thing I do, but one thing I do. So he's gone from now uh, almost an accounting kind of role in the first 11 verses to now he's going to an athletic kind of role. So he's getting us to count, count the cost. He's getting us to take inventory. He's getting us to evaluate like Socrates telling us. And now in these next verses, he's bringing us to an athletic thought. So in this athletic thought, He's actually stressing this one thing I do. How many athletes that are wildly good at what they do are involved in 10 different sports? Or do they grab onto something with that pit bull kind of tendency and hold onto it and train and train and train and train? They're obsessed with training that particular sport. 
there's some people that are great at three, four sports. But on the whole, folks that are really excelling at one thing, Olympic style, they are hardcore in that sport, right? And here, Paul is saying, this one thing I do. So how many of us in in New Year's resolutions have the greatest intentions and we make a list of 16, 25, 15 things that we want to change or we want to do and by this Sunday we've fallen flat because we've messed them all up. And Paul gives us a great example. This one thing I do. This one thing I do. Paul is alluding to specializing. He's alluding to focus because he knows more than anybody else that the devil, that the people, that comparing yourself, that your own self-image, there's a billion things that are lining up to say you're failing. Boy, you've dropped the ball on this one. You should really improve this. Ooh, they have a way better marriage than you. Wow, their kids turned out great. And there's all these voices just booming in your cranium. And he's saying this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward that which is in Christ Jesus. After an injury, <clears throat> I hurt myself in soccer of all sports. I don't even play soccer very well, and I hurt myself. It took forever. So I was into running, and I got to a point, this is crazy, because I hate running. I like running to the fridge, or running to the bathroom, or whatever. But running, I thought it was stupid. Uh, so I run just simply because I looked at, I have a little short, fat brother, and if he can run, I says to myself, so can I. So I start running, and all of a sudden, I got to a place where I almost enjoyed it. <coughs> Excuse me. I almost enjoyed it. And I was running, and it was going longer and longer, and my, my kilometers, it was fantastic. It felt good. So the frequency of my runs were stacking up, and I'm feeling good. Uh, sometimes I'd get home, and I could keep running. I'm just like, huh? It was awesome. But then, again, playing soccer, I injured myself, and I was out from running. I couldn't. My knee was hammered out. And I was, uh, I was feeling bad. And then when I tried to run again, I was just kind of out of breath, or I just felt unmotivated. I was like, oh. well, I just read an article that was just really revolutionary for me. And one of the things he just says, just take it easy. If you've been running 10K or if you've been running 15K or whatever, and you don't want to right now, or you're not feeling it, or you're coming from an energy injury, take it easy. Take it easy on yourself. You want to get that intrinsic motivation back. So go 20 minutes. Enjoy the run. Go on a route where you really enjoy it. Run to Starbucks. <laughs> right? There's got to be a carrot at the end of the tunnel. Right? So enjoy that. And one thing that really hit me is when you give yourself permission to take a break, which I've done sometimes, but I always feel guilty because I'm driving down the road and I see somebody running. Shoot, I hate that person, you know? Uh, you're driving down the road. You've got to give yourself permission to have a break and then chill out because if you give yourself, if you take a break but don't allow yourself to enjoy that break, you haven't taken a break. So when I looked at this in my running, it was revolutionary for me. And I, and I get to start running. I get to enjoy 20 minutes. And all of a sudden, I start taking my dog out too. And my kid says, I want to go with you. I'm going, ah. But then I take her on the chariot, and those hills kill. But I mean, it's not about me and making my 
trying to break my time or whatever. I'm just out to try and have a good time with my kid or my dog and also stay in good shape. And it's starting to come back, the intrinsic motivation behind it. Paul says, forget your past. Forgetting what is behind. And this is big. This is big. This is each and every one of you. This is me. Forget your failures. I'm not saying you don't learn from your failures, but some of us are so in bondage to our failures that you're never going to have victory in Jesus Christ. You're never going to have that marriage you want. You're never going to be the parent you want to be because you're so wrapped up in what you did or what happened to you. I hung out this last uh, week with some folks that I can't believe how in bondage they are to something that happened to them. And I'm not saying that there isn't pain behind this stuff, but folks, we are so tripped up and so tangled up and so in bondage to the devil and all these thoughts that we have about ourselves or what happened to us that we're never any good. We never move on. Forget your past. Forget your failures. Forget your sin. And I, I don't mean that tritely. I'm saying forget your sin in that it's covered by Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for a reason. So if he wants to forgive it and he wants to toss it as far as the east is from the west, why do you keep retrieving it like a hound dog? Leave it. Self-evaluation can be a dangerous thing because we err on two directions, making ourselves better than we are or making ourselves worse than we are. So forgetting those things which are behind doesn't suggest an impossible feat, somebody says, of mental and psychological gymnastic. It's simply, you got to listen to this. This is what somebody else says. It simply means that we break the power of the past by living for the future. Because where do you belong? Do you belong here? Do you belong in Manitoba? Where do you belong? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't belong here. We're just here for a while. We're heavenly beings and we don't belong here on earth. We're here for a, for a moment, for a blip in time, for an epic. It simply means that we break the power of the past by living for the future. Way too many Christians are shackled by their regrets of the past. Nobody runs a race by looking backwards. You can't run properly if you're looking backwards. It seems to me in the lower mainland, some people try and drive like that. It's kind of scary out here. But keep your eyes focused. Look ahead. Some Christians, some disciples are being distracted by the successes of their past and not failures. And that's just as bad. I know for myself, sometimes I can look back like, man, I used to, you know, that was really good this week. I just really felt close to the Lord. I served lots of people, blah, blah, blah. And you can start thinking and believing your reviews. No, that's just as bad. You're living on the fumes of the past. Don't you find that sometimes you can look back at your history, your spiritual history, and you go, or you look back in your journal and you go, wow, that was good. That was tight. That, ooh, that was a, you know. And you look to now and you're going, I haven't grown one bit or I've fallen back. So that can be a, stimulant for us to get moving but sometimes we can look back and go that was such a good week i'm gonna take it easy this week every day is a big deal every day we can lean into christ every day and if you drop the ball get up and lean into him again every day 
The things which are set behind, somebody says, must be set behind, and the things which are before must take their place. In a way, we got to forget our successes. Some of us like to live in the fumes of the past successes or the victories, and we got to strain toward which is ahead. An athletic picture of going for the goal. And when you've seen those races, horse races or whatever, where the, that line is just there, and just the last few strides, you're going for the tape. Or you're going for that line. They just stretch themselves out because they need the goal. They're going for that place of victory. That's the, that's the picture that Paul is giving us here. That athletic, taking into account at first, that accounting, consider all this, now strain with the intensity of an athlete for the goal. Striving, reaching forth, what did they had for the finish line. Go for it. And that's an everyday, go for it. It's not, oh, I did that last year, or I might do that in a month or two. This is an everyday relational, go for it. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, suffering, and be like him. So I'll leave you with this. Folks, don't forget your calling in 2016. Don't forget your calling. God has called you and is calling you daily to himself through Jesus Christ. So it's not something that happened to you a year ago or 15 years ago. It's a daily calling. Come on. He's calling you to himself. Walk and step with him. Walk and step with Christ. Grab onto him. Don't let your past paralyze you and don't let your thoughts go to, well, if only, well, if only, well, you know, maybe in a week or when I do that, or when I'm educated. None of this if-only stuff. We're talking about today. We're talking about today. The time is now. Folks, now is the time to lean into the graces of God for a better marriage. Now is the time to hold on to what you know about Christ and let Him grow your character. Now is the time to believe everything you know about Christ, live into what you believe, and move forward. Now is the time to serve. Now is the time to believe. Now is the time to stick your neck out and get involved with refugees, immigrants. Now is the time. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward that which is ahead in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your passage this morning. And Lord, I thank you for the, first of all, the spank that we get when we try and live with religion. You let us have it. But Lord, you are calling us to a relationship. And this is fantastic, Lord, a relationship that happens daily. So we might have dropped the ball or we might feel pretty good about ourselves, but tomorrow's a new day. And Lord, I ask for your grace which is a powerful gift for me and for my friends here that you would help us to walk in faith and help us to lean into you. Help us to lean into you for better marriage. Help us to lean into you for a better relationship with our kids. Help us to lean into you when it comes to having faith, a stretching faith when finances, paying the bills. Maybe we're feeling lonely like we don't have enough friends or, or tight friends. Help us to step out in faith and lean into you and believe that you'll send somebody our way. I don't know what it is. But Lord, 2016. Help us to be a people marked 
by forgetting what is behind and straining toward that which is ahead in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.